Hello everyone, welcome back to the True Crime Friday podcast. Uh, it is me, Lauren, your co-host. You cannot see me right now though because my camera is fucked. So you got a very nice picture of me from like, what, two years ago maybe? To look at instead if you are watching this. Anyways, welcome to the disclaimer ep- part, episode part. Welcome to the disclaimer section of the episode. Now... Obviously, before we dive in, I need to warn you that this episode will contain mentions of paedophilia, sexual assault, rape, murder, and extreme violence that a lot of people may find upsetting and or disturbing. And if that is the case, this may not be the episode for you. We do have, weirdly, weirdly, it's hard to believe, but we do have tamer episodes that if you would like to listen to those, you can do whatever you want. I don't control your life. But yeah, on with the episode. Welcome back to the True Crime Friday podcast. It's your favourite humans that like to grace your presence every Friday. Yeah. We're, we're, we're back like we are every week because we never go away because we like to really, really pester you. But you guys are listening to it, so it's your kind of, it's kind of like your own fault at this point. And uh, you're really, from what I've been monitoring, because I see, I, I can see how many people are listening to each episode you're really enjoying the menendez brothers episode i'm i can see i can see it is definitely a favorite right now which to be fair good good i'm glad that one's doing well i'm i'm liking it it kind of shocked me when i was um in dublin over the weekend because i was just checking every now and again i was like uh, hello hello <laughs> yeah thank you guys for enjoying that one uh, this one today that we're going to talk about is kind of like on a similar level. So we're probably going to find ourselves not hating the person that gets put in prison. So it's going to be interesting to say the very least. If you're from the UK, you are probably aware of this case because every now and again, the big old tabloids in the UK like to talk about this guy, especially about the solitary confinement that he is currently in uh it's always a thing that likes to get brought up you might you might see it pop up as a facebook advert every now and again where it's just like the serial killer that is in wake that is in the basement of wakefield prison you may have seen articles like that here here or there and that might be where you know about this case because that is definitely that is how i found out about this case was just from Facebook advertisements just being like, the man that is in a glass cage in the basement of Wakefield. I mean, to be fair, that is a very good headline to try and get your, your attention, I won't lie. So do you know this guy? Mm, kind of. I don't know too much. But, you know, as you said, you see people on the internet and either you just see the person and you delve straight into the history and just go on a binge on all information you can find on them or you just see or hear of this person and go oh, okay and then move on yeah yeah pretty much so we're going to be talking about robert maldsley uh he is mostly known as the brain eater spoons and cannibal he is also apparently the inspiration behind the movie silence of the lambs so, uh, 
There you go, a bit of trivia for you. And he is known to be kept in a glass cage in the basement of HM Prison Wakefield and is known as the UK's most dangerous criminal. Which is a very high up the bar uh, title to have. It is for sure. We have some scummy criminals that I would definitely say are more dangerous than this guy. This guy is only a danger if you're a, if you're a pedo. Yeah. That is, if you, if you find him a danger to you, you've probably said something to him that has not been fucking great and that no one will like you for. So, yeah, we're gonna go into his early. We're gonna go into his life. This what this episode might not be as long. He only has committed four murders, but he is probably definitely one of those where um. He went into prison as a murderer after killing one person, but he became a serial killer in prison. Yeah. That is the interesting fact about this guy. So Robert John Maudsley was born on the 26th of June, 1953 in Liverpool, England. His childhood was a bit different to say the least. By the time he was six months old, himself... Robert and his two older brothers, Kevin and Paul, and his sister Brenda were placed in an orphanage called Nazareth House in Crosby, Liverpool. And this was due to their parents being pretty much just unfit and they couldn't really cope to take care of the children. They spent nine years at the orphanage being taken care of by nuns. Now, obviously, people hear orphanages, especially in the 1950s, you're probably going to assume it was dull it was dark it was not a pleasant place to live this place did not have that stereotype apparently it was a really lovely place to live uh, the nuns were really really kind they were very good with the children all the children had a good time there and robert actually did say that these nine years were actually the happiest of his entire life oh so, and his siblings all agree. They were all on the same page. Now, the four children were beginning to be placed up for adoption. And this is when their biological parents discovered that the kids were going to be adopted. And they made a an appearance at the orphanage. At the, orphan that, at the orphanage. And they said that they wanted their children back. And that they claimed, well, they claimed that their lives have changed. And that they could take care of the kids now but the only issue is is that the four kids didn't recognize the people that were stood in front of them paul remembers that he said and quote at the at the orphanage we had eight we all got on very well our parents would come and visit but they were kind of just strangers to us the nuns were our family and we used to stick together then our parents took us home and when we were subjected to physical abuse it was something we'd never experienced before. They just picked on us one by one, gave us a beating, and sent us off to our room. And one thing that you always hear about, like, stereotypical, like, foster care, orphanage, as well, like, in the 1950s, is that there was beatings, there was abuse and stuff like that. Kids were treated horribly, there was a lot of trauma, and obviously for them this wasn't the case, and this probably would have been the best place for them. And yeah, this this all could have been avoided. 
Yeah, a lot, I mean, obviously, I don't know what Forest Home's like now, but they've obviously changed a lot. I know that in their recent Forest Homes, your Moon 5 CD just ends up missing out of the blue. Um, but no, on a, on a serious note, I, you know, Foster Homes, they seem like a very nice place, but it is very sad, you know, the sadness kind of overwhelms it when I see, like, Foster Homes, because people in there who don't know who their parents were, I know that they were clearly in some point unwanted, and they're yeah. just with other people who are unwanted, and then I, I like the fact that, you know, kids get along in these foster homes because you know you need to bond over certain stuff but it's always sad that these obviously kids have got to the point where they've they've been unwanted gone there and then they you know just longing for to find a family of you know like parents uh, mother father who can adopt them and actually give them the life that they never had and make them feel wanted yeah but you know i'm glad that uh Times have changed because obviously there's probably a lot of times in foster homes back in the day where stuff didn't go as nice as what they do now, yeah. and that's a sad thing to think because you know, well you that's where you live. You've got no other choice. Um, you know your parents aren't gonna come back and save you. You you can get saved if you're in this foster home and getting abused that sort of thing. But um, you know, I don't think I know of any foster homes to be fair near here. There maybe is one in my town, I'm not sure, but they I don't know if I've ever met. A lot of foster homes tend to be uh, just bigger, older houses. Um, there's a few that I know that are around here. I'm Yeah, there's a lot of kids in foster care around here. Have you ever met anyone that um... had... Kind of. It was normally when I was helping my mum out at her school. There was always quite a few kids that were in foster care, um, coming in and out of foster care. My, um, there's a street near me that people tend to nickname, like, Foster Avenue, because a lot of kids tend to get taken into foster care that live on that street, like, they go in and out. Um, also, if anyone's wondering what we meant, what Matt meant by the Maroon Five CD, it's a reference to a TV show here in the UK that used to be very popular in the early two thousands called Tracy Beaker, and one of um, the characters named Rio Wellard, uh, fa- famously, I'd definitely say, um, got hit. They were very the Wellards were a punk goth family, like a bunch like three siblings, and Rio. Uh, found out that someone had stolen his Maroon 5 C- CD and they're all very Welsh as well so he made it a bit funnier my Maroon 5 CD yeah. what it's gone missing she goes right who took my Maroon 5 CD <laughs> it's gone missing missing <laughs> fucking which incidentally classic. just sounds yeah incidentally when we did that Welsh accent we basically sound like Fireman Sam and yeah, yeah. Norman and everyone else from Pontypum yeah. Because they're Welsh as well, but no, I Tracy Beaker's the only. Um, yeah, I feel like that's how I. Exactly. You okay. know I, that show actually. Did, I I praised that show a lot because it opened my eyes to a bit more of a life that I don't think I would have seen generally, and watching the show, I knew it was like a foster home, but I never saw anyone in that or like the the way that they made the show. I never saw anyone or like foster homes in a negative way. They, yeah. always, they, you know, I think the way they did the show was quite well to give you awareness of it and show that, hey, look, this stuff happens, yeah, they but it's not always they, all doom and gloom. 
they kind of showed it that it's not the kid's fault. No, but I always do wonder sometimes why, what's the reasoning for a kid to go to some foster home? A lot of because... time is like, people can report, uh, a lot of people can report parents. Ah, uh, you can it, do that, okay. Yeah, there can be stuff like that. Uh, sometimes parents just willingly take the kids there because they, they feel like they can't take care of them anymore. There's situations like that. Um, it it's it's just it it could be for any reason, but yeah, it's just it's a lot of different reasons really. Um, but yeah, it, I I just think that people can get if, reported. <laughs> yeah, but like if if the parents have to put the kid there because they don't think they can look after them, I just I just feel as though if you if you don't have the sustainability to look after a child don't have one uh, because yeah, you, there's, you, you, sometimes you, you, you're having a child and then not looking after it you it, know it, you're, it you're all, in the child and it obviously all depends on the circumstances i guess because sometimes, yeah i understand everyone's circumstances are different yeah because like they could easily have, you got you got a lot of people who accidentally get pregnant and then they don't they don't want an abortion for whatever reason that they don't oh want. yeah yeah and then you've also got the pressure of family who kind of like skew your, your um your yeah mindset. It, it, there's there's many different reasons but yeah i, I get that uh but uh, yeah whatever is the reason i just wish reason. i just wish for kids to have a a yeah. good life it's never good to see that but you yeah. know so yeah their, their adoption their adoption was cancelled and they got sent back to live with their parents, who they thought were just strangers, especially Robert, who was sent into this orphanage when he was six months old. He just doesn't know who these people are. Uh, obviously, George and their parents, George and Jean, they hadn't changed at all. They were actually worse. And during the nine years that the children, the four children, were in foster care, uh, Jean had given birth to a further eight more children meaning Oof. that the family home was now cramped with 12 children and two adults. Bear in mind, all these children over the nine years will be a year, one year after the other, very close in ages, but then you also have you've got Robert, and then you've got the older children as well, so you've got it going up into teenage years as well. Mm-hmm. The children were, were subject to a large scale of abuse from their parents, Robert, looking back on his childhood, once said, All I remember of my childhood is the beatings. Once I was locked in a room for six months and my father only opened the door to come in to beat me four or six times a day. He used to hit me with sticks or rods and once he bust a .22 air rifle over my back. Wow. And this was happening for six months because, yeah, he was locked in a room for six months. And that's like, as like a nine-year-old, all the way up until about 16, this kind of happened. So yeah, from about the age of nine till about the age of 16, he was regularly abused by his parents. Jean didn't physically abuse the children, but she did everything she could to try and make sure that George would. Um, she would come up with, situa- with scenarios and situations to find ways to make the children do things to make him angry or she would just tell him that they've done certain things when they haven't which would result in him getting very angry and beating them and she would kind of sit back and just watch 
Robert claimed that when he was locked inside the room for six months on end, his father would come into the room not just to beat him, but also to sexually abuse and rape him on a daily basis. Um, yeah. This is something that his siblings vouched for as well. And his siblings who still talk to him to this day as well. We need to also add that in. His siblings still regularly speak to him. And yeah, they have backed all of this up. So this, so within 12 months of moving in, in with their parents, bear in mind, Robert's probably nine at that point. Robert and Robert alone was placed with foster parents, but then obviously he had to go back to his parents. So he was moved in and out a fair bit. At the age of 16, he fled to London, hoping for a better life. But when he got there, he was sleeping on the streets and he developed a pretty hefty drug addiction. And this is early 1970s London. During the early 1970s, London was not good. It was a drug-fueled place. A lot of people were struggling to find work. A lot of people were homeless and drug addicts or they were attempting suicide. It was a very, very depressive place and it was a lot of the time people who ran away from their bad lives to try and make a better life for themselves in the city that people think will be better. But it's never resulted in that way. So when he was there, yeah, he developed a drug addiction. He attempted suicide twice and he regularly self-harmed. He also went into sex work to fund his drug habit, so he was regularly sleeping with men for money. Uh, which is a thing that a lot of people don't tend to talk about, male sex workers. Because I've got a feeling they... they well, I, it's probably definitely a fact that they just get utter hell. Probably. Yeah. I mean, 1970s, being a male sex worker and your clientele, but mostly being men, it wouldn't shock me if a, quite a lot of arseholes decided to pretend to want to sleep with him just to beat the shit out of him. Well, more than likely, in the UK for sure, yeah. that would uh, more than likely happen. Hence why a lot of people probably um, around that time kept their, in public eye, their sexuality yeah. hidden. Yeah. And years later, either passed away without even having the courage to say they were, or years later, I've had the courage to come out and say, because times have changed. Yeah. So he spent a lot of time in psychiatric units, and he told hospital staff that he was hearing voices, and that the voices were ordering him to kill his parents for the abuse that they put him under. Uh, but most of the time, he was being dismissed for being a drug addict. Uh, during his time being a sex worker, he was regularly sexually assaulted and raped, which made his hatred for... He already had a huge hatred for paedophiles and sex offenders because of his father and his mum, but this just got worse and the voices got worse. I mean, her hatred for paedophiles and sex offenders is not a bad thing. It's a very good thing. No, 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 not at all. It's a very, very, very good thing. But yeah, it, this made the voices worse because whenever he... 
was in the presence of a sex offender, the voices would come and intensify, really. I wonder what it's like to hear, like, voices. You know, like, I, I, I hear my own voice in my head, and you can, like, think about other people's voices and hear them. But yeah. in the case of him, when it's, like, voices of, like, unknown, that just a random voice, you don't know who it is, telling you to do stuff, I always... I mean, there's there's no way we'll ever know what I mean, the voice inside people said. Yeah, let's hope. But it, I, just find, I just find it so weird that all of a sudden this mysterious unknown voice comes into someone's head and tells them to do such evil, malicious things. Yeah, I, I can't imagine it. It must be fucking terrifying. And then, because it's in your head and they won't go away, you start going insane. And it almost feels like these random voices basically just take control. Like, the brain just isn't in control anymore. It's just the voice. And that you fall to the trap of what the voice tells you to do. And you feel like it's the only way you can get rid of it is just doing its command. And then you end up doing that, and then, obviously, your life goes to shit because you've committed some horrific crime. And then probably half these folk who do have voices in their head just wish that they never got the voice in their head, which seems like such a weird thing to say, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, ha having these sadistic voices in your head turn you into someone who you're not. Because, obviously, the brain's very easily manipulated. Yeah. So, one night in 1974, while working as a sex worker, Robert was picked up by a labourer named John Farrell. Uh... John didn't want a one-night stand that he, he paid Robert for, and he didn't. He basically didn't want to pay for a one-night stand and that Robert would just leave afterwards. He wanted to form a relationship of, of some kind with Robert, which he was all for. John wanted to get him off the streets and off drugs, but the drugs were still something that Robert was finding hard to kick and would stick to, which would annoy John quite a lot. The relationship was open, so Robert was still working as a sex worker to fund his drug habit, since obviously John wouldn't pay for his addiction. It went on for a good six months, so it developed into a semi-serious relationship between the two of them, and life was starting to have its perks. Until one night. John was excited to show Robert something that he had been wanting to show him for a while. Robert was fairly high on drugs at the po at this point as John brought out a wooden box and placed it in front of Robert. He opened the box and placed a series of pictures in front of him and waited to see his reaction. Robert took his time to focus his eyes as he was really drugged out to figure out what was in front of him and eventually he could see what John was showing him. There were multiple pictures of young boys that John was sexually abusing in the pictures. Robert instantly felt sick to his stomach at what he was seeing, because obviously he's been a victim of this before, so like he's, he fucking got pissed off very quickly. John explained in extreme detail of what he had done to each one of the young boys with pride and said that he wants Robert to do to him what he did to the boys in the photos. Robert looked up at him in disgust and with anger, which wasn't the reaction that John was expecting. John immediately got angry with the reaction, uh, which is weird. And he was just really... So yeah, John was really pissed off with the reaction that Robert had given him. 
Robert claimed that this is when the voices came back, telling him to kill John for what he had done like he had been wanting to do to his parents for years. He said that instead of seeing John in front of him, he only saw his parents. So Robert uh, garroted him, stabbed him and smashed him over the head of a hammer. He stood there for a good few minutes covered in blood as John lay dead on the floor. Robert immediately surrendered himself to the police, uh, saying that he needed psychiatric care over what he had done. Police arrested Robert, but he was found unfit to stand trial, and instead he was sent to Broadmoor. Again, it's weird. Handing handing yourself in is such a weird thing to talk about when criminals hand themselves in because majority of the time you just think if someone's being a criminal, a killer, they don't want to just give in. They want to keep going. So when is a case like this where he basically just like, right, I killed, I'm going to own up for my actions, I know I need help. He knew he needed even... help for years as well. And it's, and it's even the more weirder though that like he knows he needs help and it's kind of like the angel and the devil thing. Like the angel's saying, get help, and then the devil's overwhelming going, no. And then obviously he does, uh, well, a horrific crime of killing someone, but... I would be, I just can't apprehend the fact that the person he had a love interest with just one night went, look what I've been doing, and just blatantly showed it there and then. Like, you know, there's stuff you don't show for. Like, I don't, I wouldn't go to my mates and just show them something of just like, right, here's this fungal foot infection I just got, have a look. Because they'd be like, wow, that's that's a bit silly, you know what I mean? I'm not going to show someone that. If I've got an issue with my own body and showing it to them, that's they don't need to see that. It's the fact he thought it's okay to show that, and that's so fucked up to just be like, this, you know, this is what I do. Yeah. I've done this fucked up thing. What 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 were you expecting the reaction to be? You know, Robert had the right reaction to be so fucked up and so like angry at the fact that he was doing that because, you know, finding out someone's that you love does this really fucked up thing or just likes this really fucked up thing or does on the side is really soul destroying. Yeah. Because you, cause you think that they couldn't be like that, but you never know how someone is. Like right now I'm saying that as like, oh, I know my friends, you know, they, they'd never be evil motherfuckers. But I don't, I'm saying that, but I never know what the hell's going on. And if they are listening, you know, you're probably not doing anything fucked up. I just don't know. Like, and obviously Robert had no idea that he was doing that. And I guess he was gladly made aware of that. Because I think it's worse when they find out without the the person telling them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because if he'd found out another way, he still would have fucked him up. But I think it would have been more distraught if he had... um you know, found out by accident years later down the line, just on pure, utter chance. But it's still so fucked up they happen to do that. But, you know, never stand for anyone that does anything child abuse. That's just the most fucked thing. Oh, oh dear, oh dear. 
Yeah, so yeah, he's given himself up to the police because he, he kind of like was basically stood over John and was shocked at what he'd just done, but at the same time he's like, I can't, he's like, I can't run away from this and clearly I need some form of help because... I mean, I've just done it because of the voices in my head. I This could actually... He looked at it in a way as like, shit, I've just killed someone. But also, like, a he was a bad person and maybe now I can get help, which people have been ignoring for years. Yeah, and yeah. obviously he did the right thing of thinking, like, oh, I need to turn myself in. Yeah, Because exactly. you can't... You can run, but how how far you keep running... Well, yeah, exactly. It's also that. I mean, all these killers, some of them go think they can go on forever and ever, but they just don't. You know, the, we, we avidly, as humans over years, have tried to stop these people in their tracks from doing crimes. Yeah. And the fact that people think, right, I can get away with this and run and run for ages is just ridiculous. For people on the other hand, like Robert, who just know fine well that running and there's no chance of me ever being able to escape this and get away with it and just okay i have to turn myself in because it's the best option because if i try and run and hide away from it it's not going to go in any positive way for me so handing me in is the best option i mean yeah exactly so yeah he got he was deemed unfit to stand trial so he was sent to broadmoor hospital Broadmoor, for those who aren't aware, is a high-security psychiatric hospital in Crowthorne, Berkshire, in England. It is the oldest of the three high-security psychiatric hospitals in the UK, the other two being Ashworth Hospital near Liverpool and Rampton Secure Hospital in Nottinghamshire. It is also known to have notorious to have had notorious paedophile Jimmy Savile be the management board in charge of Broadmoor. And around oh. this time in the 1970s, that would have just been a thing as well, where he would have been slightly uh, not... in charge. Did you not know yeah. that? No. There's his name being mentioned. Yeah. Did you not know that he was the management, though? Yes. I think. He got... I'm correct. He got given the keys to Broadmoor. Um, obviously, at this time, the public didn't know that Jimmy Savile was a paedophile, but um, a lot of people around him did. If anyone is not from the UK and listening, I will say the UK have had a history of shoving shit under the carpet to try and hide it mostly from the, the public eye. Mostly the BBC. I mean, Lauren said it. I... I, I don't want to... Uh... We're on Spotify. We're not on BBC Sounds. Oh, we're not on BBC... Oh, okay, that's fine. Oof. Nah, we're not on BBC Sounds. We can say what the fuck we want. I don't want to be associated with them. No. Um. The only thing they've got but... that's good is Doctor Who, and that that's it. Yeah, the BBC have been notorious for hiding stuff under the carpet. To... Having it away. Knowing fine well, which is why... You know... People might think, oh, the UK, yeah, it's great, but having a big corporation hide evil shit under the carpet as if we're not supposed to know about it, the public eye, and still censor a lot of things now, it's yeah. ridiculous. And when people try and speak up about it, 
aka uh well you know the person that uh spoke up about it and mentioned it because he knew do we say his name but he said uh, i mean if he's famous well, he, he talks about it a fair bit everyone well knows yeah because he's one of the well, everyone yeah. knows who he is well yeah so um, if anyone who didn't know uh legendary punk rock star uh johnny rotten also known as now mostly as john lydon um, who was the front man of the Sex Pistols, he came... And Public Image Limited. Uh, yeah, and Public Image. Uh, he basically said back then in the 1970s what Jimmy Savile was doing. He was he was aware of it. He tried going to authorities about it. He tried going to the BBC about it. He tried going to so many people about it. No one would listen because they fucking knew. Uh, well, the police wouldn't listen, but the BBC would just kind of like we're just trying to ignore it and he it's also... has been try he was trying for years and unfortunately we all as the public only found out about all of this after he died because i remember when he died i remember the funeral and how everyone was sad and then within a week everyone was like Ugh. yep it was basically that but anyway that is he was he was one of the man he was on the management board and he was frequently at Broadmoor. Uh, there is an infamous photo of him of a picture of him and uh, Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper. So, uh, yeah. um, so some of the most famous names to have been housed at Broadmoor have been David Copeland, aka the Nail Bomber, Charles Bronson, Peter Sutcliffe, aka the Yorkshire Ripper. John Straffen, who was a serial killer who escaped and killed a young girl, uh, literally hours later. Uh, Ronnie Cray. Uh, Peter Bryan, who was a serial killer and cannibal, who killed an inmate 10 days after being admitted. And Sharon Carr, who at the time was the, was 12 years old, and, around the, and at the time she became Britain's youngest female murderer. So there's other people that you got in there. There's more, obviously, but um, yeah, it would be there would be a fucking hours, and also a lot of like Broadmoor's former patients. Some of them were put in there for bullshit reasons, anyway, because um, before a certain time, you were put into psychiatric hospitals for just being sad. So um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 they must see some well weirding mm-hmm. mm, shit in psychiatric places, and you know. If you went into a psychiatric hospital, you'd see like the limits, yeah, of a person. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, you could be with someone and they laugh and they go, "Huh, oh, that was a, like a kind of psycho laugh you did there." Oh, oh yeah, it was a bit like that. But when you actually go somewhere like that, where the laughs they do are beyond insane and they're literally losing their mind, and, and not times- even on planet Earth. They're on some other realm. Yeah, nine times out of ten, one thing that I do want to say as well about that is um, a lot of the time, they weren't like that before they went in. A lot of the time, the insanity gets worse when they were in there, especially around this period of time and before it. Um, the treatment would just be horrific a lot of the treatment that was used is no longer used today because of how extreme and disgusting it was and the fact that it didn't work and it just made people go a bit more insane and also a lot of people were kept to their own thoughts 
in their rooms for days on end without seeing anyone like that's just going to make things worse um yeah that's one thing to say i mean broadmoor i think has changed now from what i know i think it has changed but in the 1970s and 1980s and beforehand it had the it had a very bad reputation and um it was compared to another famous psychiatric hospital a bethlehem uh which has inspired many horror movies and horror books, and it is often yeah. Psychiatric places just inspire anything horror related oh, because Beth- of the Beth- Bethlehem, the nature. Bethlehem was like top on the like the top one. Like it was is Bethlehem had been there since uh, it's still there today. Is uh, but it had been around since uh, William Shakespeare's time. Oh, it's been yeah. It's a very old hospital. Um, and it had the reputation of scaring people to be sane, bef- uh, so they don't have to go in there. And Broad- yeah, Broadmoor often got often got compared to that. I mean, just think whenever you say, "Oh, I'm a bit insane," and then think about people in a psychiatric I just say hospital, weird. and then the your definition of insane. Is thrown out the window. Oh, Trust yeah, me. I I do feel for people that get to that state because it it's in my eyes it must be living hell. Yeah. To slowly lose your mind and just lose control because it's not one of those things you can easily just get back. You can't just be psycho insane and then all of a sudden click your fingers back to normal so props to the people at work in psychiatric hospitals having to treat the patients because you've probably seen some things that has left some scars probably oh yeah 110% so yeah uh, Robert was there for roughly around about three years in 1977 Robert and another patient named David Cheeseman who at the time was serving a sentence for rape and sexual assault of a 16 year old girl weirdly enough those two teamed up together whilst in the hospital because they both wanted to be sent to a proper prison and carry out their sentence there because of the sheer amount of things that were happening at Broadmoor they didn't want to be there they wanted they wanted to be in an actual prison mostly because Robert thought that he'd get better treatment and actually get help whereas in Broadmoor that was not happening they then decided to kill someone within Broadmoor to grab the attention of the guards, nurses and doctors in the hospital and also to make them more shocked that they managed to do it under, like, underneath their eye. They both decided on focusing on a patient named David, Har- David Francis who was a convicted child molester. The two of them locked themselves in it. So the two, two of them locked themselves in a, a cell with David the attack um, claimed to be in revenge for a homosexual attack on one of his, one of the friends of David and Robert. They then tortured him for a period of nine hours. They tied him up with an electrical cord as they beat him and stabbed him with the weapons that they had made. With the staff stood on the other side of the door demanding that they let them in as they struggled to get it open. They also tried seeing through... Uh, one of the smaller windows 
uh, see what they could be doing to David Francis, but David Cheeseman stood in front of the cell window blocking the view from the staff as they tried looking in. So, so before locking themselves in the cell, both David and Robert got spoons and sharpened them into knives as weapons. During the nine hours worth of torture, David Francis eventually looked up at Robert and asked, why won't you kill me? Robert looked down on David and pretty much just did exactly what he asked by strangling him. Robert got David to move out of the way of the window and then he held up David Francis's body to the window for the staff to see. They managed to smash into the cell where they saw the extent of the nine hours of torture. His face was unrecognisable, his skull was cracked open with the sharpened spoon wedged into his brain with pieces of the brain missing. This is th- this then led the police to suspect that Robert had eaten part of David's brain and news about this spread around Broadmoor very, very quickly, which obviously led to the press eventually finding out, which then gave him the nickname The Brain Eater and Cannibal. But by the time the autopsy had been carried out and revealed that not any part of David had been consumed, the rumour was already out and the reputation was on Robert from that point onwards. Oh dear, I will say it's not a pretty sight to see a cracked open skull. Mm-mm. Um, The internet is a bastard of a place and Reddit 50-50 is uh, not for the faint-hearted. May I say, because I may have been on Reddit 5050 once and saw something like that in a Brazilian prison. Ooh, Cracked open head, skull, and the prisoners meshing around with the brain. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, sorry, it was horrible, it was horrible, but I mean, you know, him targeting him for being a child abuser and molester is, uh, you know, it's uh, not surprising because it still happens now. Uh, a lot. The thing is that I believe now that a lot of people who commit those crimes have to be put in isolation places because yeah. you know pe- people go to prison for like murdering folk, but they aren't just evil motherfuckers one hundred percent. They have still morals and they know that people who are like chomos and etc are fucked up human beings so they still will go out for them which is why I believe they have to put them in isolation because they had them with other prisoners and as soon as the other prisoner found out what they did they'd be beating the shit out of him to the point where they'd probably kill him oh 100% so that's you know it's still going on now but you know we never you never like to say you like the condoning of killing someone, but knowing someone's done that, beating the shit or someone for doing that is just like, well done. Because yeah. those people who who do that stuff, just are the most fucked up people, in the entire world. So. But yeah, so this attack did actually get both of them what they wanted. Uh, Robert was deemed fit to stand trial and he was charged with... And what I find funny as well, this attack was worse than his first murder, but now he's fit to stand trial. 
He wasn't deemed oh, okay. fit. He was, yeah, he wasn't deemed fit for, for the, after the first murder, but after he does a nine-hour worth of torture and then killing the guy, now he's fit to stand trial. What, is it because he actually inflicted more damage to this guy that they thought, okay... No idea. He's... he's cl- and, I mean, nine hours is long. Yeah. That's, That's longer than the I've work just, day. That boy was... And, and they, they definitely had it out for him, the fact that they decided, right, we're going to do this for nine hours of their own time, torturing the shit out of this evil motherfucker. Yep. Damn. And the fact that they couldn't get in... Yeah, I know. That room for nine hours? What? Yeah. I think they were also kind of worried that they, like... that. They, they, oh, they, they go this, in this could something else. Es- this could escalate. I don't really know. Yeah, yeah. So, he was charged with manslaughter. Uh, not murder. And he was then sentenced to HM Prison Wakefield. Uh, but he was very... But he very quickly realised that Wakefield was actually just as bad as Broadmoor at the time. And eventually realised that he just wanted to be sent right back. Uh, but he was already there. So when he was moved to Wakefield, his previous attack had obviously gotten the attention, even over there. And the inmates at Wakefield gave him the nickname Spoons. Which is really shit, because it sounds really fucking lame. <laughs> uh, one afternoon in 1978, he killed two fellow prisoners in the same day. Maudsley's first victim of the day was sex offender Sanley Darwood. Uh, Now, they were actually friends at the time. They didn't have any issues, actually. Um, They got along and they used to, like, play chess together, stuff like that. They didn't really have any issues. Uh, But Robert was kind of like, I need someone to kill to try and prove a point. Um, I need just someone who's a sex offender. Because that will only be the only way to get me riled up. And they saw Darwood and he was like, oh. And then the voices apparently came back and he was like, shit. So Robert invited him back to his cell where he grotted and stabbed him before hiding his body under his bed. He then attempted to lure fellow prisoners into his cell, but all of them refused. He then went on the prowl around the wing, hunting for a second victim. Eventually, he cornered and stabbed prisoner Bill Roberts to death. Uh, Bill Roberts was in prison at the time for the murder of his... Well, he was a sex offender, but he also murdered his wife. He hacked at his skull with a makeshift dagger and smashed his head against the wall. He then calmly walked into the prison officer's uh, room, placed the dagger on the table and told him... Next roll call would be too short. So yeah, obviously they went and found both victims and saw their faces completely fucked up. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, this kind of shocked them. In 1979, which ended up being his last murder trial, the court heard that during his violent rages, Maudsley believed that his victims were his parents. The killings, his lawyers argued, were the result of pent-up aggression resulting from a childhood of near-constant abuse. Uh, Robert said, When I kill, I think I have my parents in mind. If I had killed my parents in 1970, none of these people need have died. If I had killed them, then I would be walking around as a free man without a care in the world. To be fair, I kind of believe that. I do kind of believe that that was what that 
I do weirdly kind of believe it. Yeah, but then that um the other he wouldn't be free. guy would have been outed for being a chumu. That is also true. But yeah, I mean, if even if he killed his parents, he still would have gone to prison. Yeah, he still would have gone to prison. I don't think he would have gotten as long. Well, I think that that sense of being free, if you get me, mm. like free from the sadistic demons that were his parents. Yeah, I think when abuse. he sa- I think when he says free man, he yeah, is meaning about like he'd be free from the voices and stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm meaning by that. Yeah. Because obviously, the voices have been in his head because you know his parents have given him abuse and they're still freely doing what they want to after causing so much pain to him as a child yeah yeah I feel like yeah it definitely would just feel like he's free from that shit so in 1983 uh, Morty was deemed too dangerous for a normal cell so prison authorities built a two cell unit in the basement of Wakefield prison to house him in for the continuation of his confinement the cell is per is perspect and the furniture is made of cardboard. The two cell the two cell unit at Wakefield Prison bears the uncanny resemblance to the one featured in the Silence of the Lambs, which was released seven years um, after the fe- after the cell was built. Around 5.5 meters by 4.5, the cell, the two cells are slightly larger than average and have large bulletproof windows through which inmates can be observed. A solid steel door opens in a small cage within the cell, with a small slot at the bottom through which guards pass uh, him food and other items. He remains in the cell for 23 hours a day. During his daily hour of exercise, he is, ex- he is escorted to the yard by six prison officers. He is not allowed contact with any other inmates, and it is a level of intense isolation to which no other prisoner, not even Ian Brady or Myra Hindley, had to deal with. So he remains in solitary confinement years later. He still is. Uh, once a day, he is allowed out of his cell for one hours of e- for one hours of exercise in a yard twenty feet long by twelve feet wide. Every move he made was always under watchful eye of at least six prison guards. He has not come into contact with any other inmates since he was moved into the cell. And well, this was around twenty years like twenty years ago. He had no contact with any other inmates. He was then moved to a specially constructed. Uh, 50,000 pound cell in Parkhurst prison on the Isle of Wight. So he did get out of Wakefield for a bit and he was transferred over to the Isle of Wight. Michael Howard, when he was Home Secretary, ordered that Maudsley, who was 46 years old at the time, should never be released. That was already established, Michael. You're not that special. Everyone already knew that. Whilst there, he met a psychiatrist named Dr. Bob Johnson, who, after three years of interviews and counselling, believed that he was making progress and was three quarters of the way through removing the aggression and latent violence that made Robert such a danger. But then, without warning, the treatment was cut off and Robert was moved back to Wakefield with no reason as to why. When he was on the Isle of Man, when he was on the Isle of Wight as well, he actually got like could listen to music he could read books he could interact with people and he was apparently being really nice as well apparently he was fine he was fine he was making progress he was talking uh if anyone wants to you can listen to a few audio files on youtube and he talks so normal 
and he taught he reminds me of when i was doing therapy actually you're kind of like you're very quiet at first but then he's just answering the questions going oh yeah you know what that might have been the reason why and he's, he's clearly analyzing things he's clearly making progress and they just went so we so we're going to move him back to wakefield now but like yeah we can see he's making progress we can see we can see that um but just cut it off and just take him back to wakefield just 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 do it like he's not, he's not done anything yeah. wrong. He's not done anything wrong, but just take him back to Wakefield. Like he did nothing to warrant going back there. I think I genuinely think they should have just left him on there, left him at that prison on the Isle of Wight. He was clearly fine. Yeah. Like no issues. And he was getting psychiatric help, which is all he wanted. All he wanted was to get help. That's all the fucking guy wanted. And he's finally getting it, and they're like, no. Yep. So his older brother Paul said, uh, as far as I can tell, the prison authorities are trying to break him. Every time they see him making a little progress, they throw a spanner in the works. He spent a time in Woodhill Prison and there he was getting on well with the staff, even playing chess with them. He had access to books and music and a television. Now they have put him back in in the cage at Wakefield. His troubles started because he got locked up as a kid. All they do when they put him back there is bring back all the trauma right to him. Which is probably true. Mm-hmm. Like, gets out of the cage, he's getting help, processing the trauma, going through it properly, and then gets put right back in the fucking cage. Uh, Robert obviously agrees with this. He said, All I have to look forward to is further mental breakdowns and possible suicide. In many ways, I think this is what the authorities hope for. That way, the problem of Robert John Maudsley can be easily and swiftly resolved. So yeah, they put him back in his steel cage when they returned him to Wakefield. Oh, fucking Nora, I've lost my place. Up. What are you doing? What's my computer doing? Oh, don't mind, I got it. Sorry, I lost my place. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they put him back in his steel cage when they, they returned him to Wakefield. He has been deemed as untreatable, which clearly that's not fucking true. He has been pleading for the terms of his solidarity confi- solitary confinement to be relaxed or to be allowed to commit suicide. A series of letters to the Times, he asked for access to classical music tapes, a television, pictures, toiletries, and, um, weird one, a budgie. Yeah, I saw that. He wanted a budgie. He wanted a budgie. Do you know what? When I hear the word budgie, I think about that um, video of those two guys that are definitely a bit tipsy. He's going to the in the going to this to one of the guys' house. He's going. You got a dog? No, no, I got a budgie. You you're joking. <laughs> you have been. Oh, I bloody love budgies. <laughs> That's all that makes me think about when I hear the word budgie. That is bloody lovely. <laughs> you're joking. Yes. You're joking. You got a budgie. <laughs> Fucking love those two guys. Hope they're doing well. <laughs> you brought me joy. Uh, so he said in the letter, Why can't I have a budgie instead of the flies and cockroaches and spiders I currently have? I promise to love it and not eat it. I feel like if you would have left the last bit out, you might not have gotten it. However, it might have made them a yeah. bit less concerned. Yeah. Just leave the last bit out, Robert, and you might have been all right. But it's because you have to. You have to say that you won't eat it. Let the, probably led them to believe that you might. So leave that part out, right? Yeah. 
So one thing to also add is that infamous prisoner Charles Bronson uh, is actually around the corner from Maudsley in Wakefield Prison. Um, interestingly enough, uh, Bronson le- when Bronson learned that Maudsley... In fact, I'm not going to lie, this part is fucking brilliant. Uh, when Bronson learned that Maudsley was around the corner, he thought he was best for them to team up. So he got one of the prison guards to send him a watch and a letter of his idea that they stick together. Robert, however, wasn't really too bothered um, about the watch and the letter, so he wrote a note back along with returning the watch. And the note basically just said, what do I want to watch for? I'm never getting out. This didn't make Bronson very happy. So uh, Charles Bronson replied back with, um, whenever I see you, I'm going to kill you. To which Robert replied back with, you've never killed anyone, you soft cunt. Yeah, that's, that's typical, Brit- typical British. That's typical British. Fucking brilliant, because it's true. Yeah, and that's that's you know that's not even surprising at all. It's ty- typical British people. Yeah, just that's... you're gonna do nothing, mate. The fuck are you gonna do? It's so oh, fucking. fucking... I'm just yeah, picturing Charles Bronson's fucking huge, right? He's a big guy. He is. He's jacked as all fucking hell. Robert Maudsley is very much not. And I'm just imagining this tiny skinny bloke just looking at this massive man and just going, you've never killed anyone, you soft cunt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fucking beautiful. Um, so yeah, this made them hate each other. Um, Robert, when when he was allowed out of his cell for that hour, he wandered into the gym to see that Charles had left his infamous round glasses on one of the benches. So he stole them and took them back to his cell. Charles obviously got really pissed off and one and had one of his little temper tantrums. Uh, Robert gave the glasses to a guard, telling them to return them to Bronson with the words, tell Charlie to stick them up his arse. <laughs> um, now, if, for those who don't know, Charles Bronson has been in prison for more than 40 years and he is one of the UK's longest serving inmates along with Maudsley. Uh, Maudsley is the longest serving uh, he gained the title after um, Ian Brady passed away, uh, who was one of the Moors murderers, for those who don't know. Uh, prisoner of- oh, so prison officer Mick O'Hagan said in the documentary HMP Wakefield, uh, Evil Behind Bars, uh, there was a gap between the two of them, so their cells actually ended up being next to each other, and there was a little gap in between the two of them. They could actually see each other and they could talk to each other. There was a television in the middle. Um, I'll post a picture actually on our Instagram. But um, basically, it's like a little mini hallway, and it's got a really shit TV at the very back, so they can't really see it properly, but they can kind of see it. And it used to just kind of chill there, so it wasn't in the cell with them. But they would have to share it, which um, you can imagine did not go well. <laughs> So there was a television in the middle. They could choose whatever programs went on. Uh, but we all... And Char- Bronson said, but we always used to end up arguing because Bob would want to watch Emmerdale and I want to watch Coronation Street and things like that. Bob would want to watch something else and I'd want to watch something else. And there was arguing all the fucking time, mate. <laughs> I'm just picturing Charles Bronson watching Emmerdale going, oh yeah, what's Fizz getting up to? 
I mean, uh, no, no, go why? Corey. Like Charles Bronson watches Corey. I find that fucking brilliant. Why the fuck does Charles Bronson look like a B Tech rip off fucking Dr. Eggman? No, he doesn't. No, I said this yesterday. He does. I said this yesterday to other girls. Why? At work. That's why I hate his fucking look because. Dr. Oh, Eggman does. is one of the best villains in all of video game history. I am a massive Sonic fan, and the fact that fucking Charles Bronson looks like a fucking B-Tech Dr. Eggman. <laughs> I and I mean B-Tech literally, because Charles Bronson couldn't do half the fucking shit that fucking Dr. Robotnik can. Right. I genuinely was talking about like the exchange between Robert Maudsley and Charles Bronson in work yesterday, because I was listening to a podcast on it, and I looked, I just burst out laughing at the soft cunt bit. Took my earphones out, I was talking to one of the girls about it. And I was there like, oh, you know what he looks like? <laughs> and I just said it, and she, and she went, you need to show me a picture of Charles Bronson. So I showed her a picture, and, she, and within seconds she went, oh my god. <laughs> it was fucking brilliant. Uh... I remember when I first saw a picture of Charles Bronson, I just was staring at it for ages, just going, why do I know this face? I mean, it's still <laughs> weird to think, though, that serial killers can, at times, enjoy I'm judging normal... Him. I'm judging him for picking Emmerdale, though. Fucking right, boring. I'm... I'm... I mean, Emmerdale... Uh, hang on, Emmerdale's a northern show, though. So's Cory. Yeah, but... Cory's I mean... Cory's in Manchester! Are you... I think is, are you a northerner? Yes. Okay, because I get confused north- on where England determines determines We're where north the north west. is. We're northwest. Our literal news is northwest. So yeah. So you should like every show that's northern, right? So you oh, should like. No, Emmerdale's fucking boring. It's just in fucking hills and shite. Corey's actually like the Dales. Like, yeah, whereas Corey, you're having fights on the cobbles. No. Sick. <laughs> like that. Corey's better. Uh, Emmerdale's shite. Um, argue with me all you want, but Ayo, sorry, sorry Robert, I'm not. Sorry, Robert, I'm not on the same page as you with this one. Ah. Um, but I just find it. Fun. I mean, I, I'm yeah. just finding it really funny that they love soap operas. I just think that's I mean, brilliant. The two yeah. da- most dangerous people in the country that won't be let out of prison because they're so dangerous. Watch the soaps. I mean, fucking brilliant. You know, it's a bit poor choice to be fair, because yeah, you get the choice. But uh, anyone in their right mind, if they want to watch a good soap opera, you watch fucking River City, because that is the shit. Well, have you ever seen any? Have you yeah. seen any episode of River City? No. Oh come on, it's the best fucking soap opera. Set in Glasgow. There's some right tough fucking nuts in there that they would, you know, you know, you get your you you get your tough nuts in the fucking. Corey and all that, but ah, uh, nah, not the ones in River oh, City. No, I'll agree with that. Nowhere near the ones in River City. River City's are it's fucking. Tough guys in a uh, right? Shit. I could fucking take them. River City tough guys. Lenny. Don't fuck with Lenny, man. But yeah, still, the, just the thought of them even listening to like popular music or like enjoying something that normal people do. I mean, he, but he, likes, I, he likes his classic music, actually. He likes his classic I, I, Obviously, I understand that prisoners do get to have some. Well, I guess to them it's luxuries, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And to us it's just normal, but it is a weird thought. You never think about, hang on, what would this convicted evil fuckhead criminal enjoy? Oh, if you want, like, a fact, though, like, uh, Ian Brady likes cream eggs. I'm not Who sure. did he? Yeah, he likes cream eggs. 
he liked some other stuff too, but that that stuff was like not necessarily to do with the the, sh- the sheer amount of horrific stuff they did. But I found out a really funny fact about Ian Brady that I just really like telling people because it's just really funny, and no one believes me, but it's true. Do you know what it is? What is it? Ian Brady likes um, having a candle put up his ass and lit on, and lit and lit. I, I, I okay so oh yeah so he has it. He, he like, turned the candle upside down. Yeah, like the 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 wicks put like the wicks out <laughs> outside the ass. He just likes the wax going on his. I'm bum, sorry. Bum cheeks in his- hey, mate, is his his ass is no way that loose he could fit a fucking Yankee candle up there. Well, no, it will be a candlestick, you dick. Oh, I just thought maybe. He yeah, might you know, have tried going, you know, you know this what? is my favourite flavour, Yankee candle. You know I'm yeah, getting up there. That's it now. It's no longer a candlestick that he's had up his ass. It's a full-on Yankee. You know what? No, you know, it's not even a Yankee candle. It's one of those massive fuck-off candles you can get from HomeSense. That, and he, it's, he goes after the shit ones, too. He goes after the vanilla ones because he's bored. Ugh. He goes after vanilla ones. He, he he dodges the really nice smelling ones. He goes after the ones that that, that just smell like chalk. So, What's wrong with vanilla? I just don't like vanilla. What? Oh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of vanilla. Never. Have well, actually, that's a lie. What? Uh, if you c- recall when we used to stream Minecraft on uh, Twitch, you were playing Minecraft vanilla, so <laughs> you can take that statement back. I don't like the taste or the smell of vanilla, so, but he definitely does that. He has one of those massive candles from TK Maxx and shoved them up his bum. There you go. Um, wow. The... So Robert Maudsley now obviously Shop has... at TK Maxx, everyone. I do. I go there for Halloween shit. So... Yeah, everyone, go go to TK Maxx if you want to shove a candle up your arse. Exactly, and tell them what you're doing. Um, so he now has more access, obviously, to a lot more things. His nephew, Gavin Maudsley, reveals... See, this thing, like his nephews and shit are visiting him. Uh, his nephew, Gavin, reveals people would be shocked to find out life inside the cage that houses his uncle and inspired Silence of the Lambs is not as bad as people are led to believe. Robert now has a day... Obviously, when he first got in there, people tend to, in articles, talk about when he first got in there, the first 25 years of being in there. Now he's gotten a lot more... He's getting treated like a human uh, a bit more now. So he now has a daily routine of watching TV, listening to music, and playing a couple video games. But he doesn't really do that part, that last part, quite a lot apparently, because he doesn't really. Oh, he, he's, he's sixty-nine fuck. years old, so I don't think he gives a shit. Imagine what video games he fucking plays. Yeah, kind of. Me. There's no way he has access to playing any video games that include online. Because if he does, no. whoa, that's another fuck thing of having in some I video swear, game lobby. I, I swear I saw something that said that he plays Call of Duty, but he'll be playing like the campaigns and shit, won't he? Oh well. But that's alright. No one, no one. If, if he only plays Call of Duty, no wonder he's fucking stopped. Oof. The newer ones are well. We're not going in the right direction. Do you think maybe? I he, mean, do if you he, think maybe like he's playing Call of Duty when he like when he's just left to, left on his Todd, and then when he knows that people will be coming to like come talk to him and shit, he puts in like Minecraft. Or Sims. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, if... Trying fuck to be, it. Trying to be subtle. Like, should be like, nah. Nah. 
That is what it'll be. That it'll be like the the people come. Hey, there's people here to visit. Shut the fuck up! I'm in the middle of the game. Can you just pause it? You don't understand. I, feel I like, have learned the ways. I feel like Charles Bronson definitely plays Sims because he keeps on apparently he just talks about like what he wants to do when he gets out of prison and where he wants to go and stuff. Fuck me, man. And make his life. I he still plays Sims. I swear to God, if Charles Bronson plays Sonic and goes, Look, look, there's the character I'm based off of. Oh my God, imagine that if he plays Sonic and then he sees him and he's just kind of like... That was me! Going, they based oh. him off me! Oh, go oh my God. They didn't. They, they didn't. They didn't, they didn't, but you definitely think it. So, apparently he goes to bed at 10pm. On visiting days, relatives bring him his favourite banana drink and sausage rolls. And apparently it's all banter and a right laugh. Uh, Wakefield used to be his hell, but now he's settled and comfortable, and he's treated like a human being. He knows he's on. He's, he knows he's on a whole life tariff, which means he's definitely get, never getting out. There's no parole or anything, and he's told me he will serve out that sentence to the best of his ability because he knows he has done a terrible thing. He's in his safe space, and that probably sounds crazy crazy to a lot of people, as solitary confinement in Wakefield Prison is not a safe place for many people. But he told me in a letter, if given the chance, he would kill again. So it feels like it's the best place for him. Yeah, I feel like if he came into contact with someone who also who just told him what he what they've done, like any horrific pedophile shit and stuff like that, then yeah, it would just be a repeat. So he thinks he's he just he knows that he's in a place that's probably better for him right now. And now yeah. he's going a bit more like help and stuff like that. He's kind of just like living his life now, which is good. Uh, he said, yeah, like I said, he. Uh, he has a genius level IQ, apparently. Uh, he loves classical music, poetry, and art, and he is keen to take an open university degree in music theory. Friends and family describe him as gentle, kind, and highly intelligent. They enjoy both his company and his sense of humour. Uh, the most recent pictures of Maudsley are more than 20 years old, so that they're the ones that everyone might have seen, especially the one on the cover art for this episode. And they were taken from a documentary made about him in a prison a few years into his time in solitary confinement. That's the only one I'm seeing. I don't think it, I can get any re more recent ones. No, there are. I'm getting it. There's not, no. So the last description of him uh, was 20 years ago when he was 49 years old. Uh, and the description then said that solitary confinement has taken its toll and today Robert has a grey beard, his hair is long and wispy, his skin is pale from lack of sunlight and is sucked in across his cheekbones. Um, but yeah, that is from 20 years ago, that description. Uh, he is now currently 69 years old and uh, there is no current, current descriptions of him. But that is Robert Maltzley. The Just bear, think. Cannibal and spoons. Just think. He's gone to bed now. Tomorrow he'll wake up. Oh, he is in bed. He'll get up. Maybe listen to classical music. Do some poetry or something in the morning. Yeah. Have a Greg sausage roll for his dinner uh, or lunch. Play some card or whatever video game he's playing in the afternoon. Then watch a bit of Corey. And Emma then. Emma Dale. Um, Emma Dale. Oh, sorry, he's Emmerdale. Yeah. Oh, you might watch, he still might watch Corey. He might have gotten into it. No, he might watch have any might soap. just sat there slagging it off to piss off Bronson. No watch it. any soap. And then... Well, I mean... I understand it now. Where is he from, originally? Uh, he's from Liverpool. Where is Corey set? Manchester. So now I can see why he maybe Probably might not, not like yeah, Corey. Yeah. 
Yeah. But no, he just... Well, yeah, I mean, he just lives a semi-normal life, but, you know, the fact that he's come to the conclusion or the sense that this is better for me to be in here because he knows that going out is worse for everyone, you know, out and about because he might do a killing again or whatnot. So, you know, he has some sense that this is his life now and it's the best possible thing for him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, at least he's... Yeah, it's one of those where his trauma's so bad that I feel like... And he's not gotten too much psychiatric help. Um, I feel like him not being alone with his thoughts has definitely helped. Um, being alone with your thoughts when you're already not mentally not mentally well will definitely not help anything. Um, but yeah, that was the life and everything of Robert Maltzley. Yeah, this was a shorter episode, but he is a case that is definitely worth covering 100%. Because he's, he's going to die. He's going to die in prison. In the... yeah. He's going to die in prison. He's a, he's very much accepted that. How how long do you think he's going to live for? Because he's 69 years old. He's got no health problems from what's known. So what do you probably could go on for quite a fair bit. Because he will have served like such a long time that I don't think anyone he might is going to beat that. He has been in prison literally since his early 20s. I, I don't think anyone's going to beat that. No. If he lives to a very, very old age. How old's Buddy Bronson now, actually? That's a good question. Bronson, I believe, is... 69. Oh, they're both the same age. Interesting. Yeah. But I've seen a lot of more photos of him out and about. There is loads of Bronson. Yeah, well, he's had bloody weddings, hasn't he? Gone married. Yeah, he's gone married a good few times. Um, he's uh, also famously broken onto the roof of Broadmoor and, start, and caused them £2,000 worth of damage by ripping off the tiles and launching them. Um, yeah, but, I mean, do you, obviously, I well, do you think that when um, Robert does pass, we'll get more recent photos? Maybe, maybe, yeah. It depends. Because... Uh, yeah, it really depends. Because, um, obviously, I don't think he wants to do interviews and shit. I really don't think No, I mean, it just, uh, it's just because a lot of times we'll cover someone and they'll do so many interviews or they'll I allow mean, so many photos. I mean, to be fair, we didn't really see any recent pictures of Ian Brady when he died. Oh, no. I mean... I mean, I don't really want to. He, he probably is fucking... The photos... Of Robert are from a documentary. They're from, yeah, they are from like nineteen eighties. Yeah. Have you like watched them or seen them? I haven't yet. I need to get around. I want to. I do want to watch that recent documentary on Wakefield though. I'm just intrigued of what he sounds like and oh, how a, he speaks. Oh, he's he's got a not a very scouse, not a very strong scouse accent because I've listened to interviews that he's that he's done. Um, he's not got a very sc- strong Scouse accent. He speaks very normally, very calm, very well spoken. Um, like just, he speaks very, 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 very well. But he, he does. He just sounds like a normal guy. He just, yeah, he's just 
kind of scouse, not too, not very strong. He's not got the strongest accent, but you can hear it. Um, it's just because the photo of him, he's got like long hair right down the back. Yeah. And he's wearing that shirt and, you know. No, I know he's a very well-spoken guy. When he, He's speaking a lot of the time about how he understands how he's in, why he's in prison and stuff like that, and he's fine with that. He just doesn't understand why he's being treated worse than the people who are literal paedophiles and child molesters. And the fact that he is killing them, but he doesn't understand why overall, anyway, he would be getting treated worse when he's literally helping getting rid of the people that they would eventually let out anyway, which is a very good, valid point. Yeah, I just... You should definitely listen to it, because it's one of those interviews with with a serial killer that doesn't creep me out. It's not really eerie. Like, every single time I've listened to a confession tape or anything like that it's really eerie it's really creepy it gives you an uneasy feeling in your stomach his just doesn't do that and i don't know if it's because like i don't fucking hate the guy and i've i've not said until now i've not said the word cunt so um <laughs> I, I it's it's an interview that doesn't weird me out it doesn't creep me out he's yeah weird one i mean that photo of him is that him in the glass? That's him in solitary confinement. That's not him in the glass. Ah, okay, because I've just found uh, a photo here that's taken of everyone in in that room and the photographer taking a photo yeah. of one of the photos of him there. So Yeah. It's weird to see that. It's weird because uh, this photo here shows, like, there's obviously there's a photographer set up. He's just sitting on a chair. And there's so many people in this room. There's one, two, three, four, yeah, five, are, six, seven, eight, nine. There's not that big, and there's like nine folk in it, plus the photographer, two females. And and I just don't know what's going on there, but, you know, he seems like a very calm guy, allowing folk in, not going do lally, but there is no photo. Fo- is there any photos of the glass? Um, the box is somewhere. I don't think there is a lot, if there is. Because I've not actually seen Silence of the Lambs. So I can't... I'm getting images of the, what the glass box is from the Silence of the Lambs film, but I don't know how close that is to actually his one in real life. Yeah. But it does seem weird to, you know, think that a man is living in a glass box in a basement. Yeah. Yeah, it is weird. Uh, but yeah, that was all about Robert Maltley. Um, we hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, yeah, uh, we'll see you guys next week. We don't know what. I don't think there's a plan so far. No. Um, I mean, I think it would also be interesting, perhaps in the future, if we covered the longer-serving prisoners from some other places, because yeah, I wonder if anyone around the world is serving a longer sentence than he is. I mean, his sentence is literally a whole life tariff, so... Oh, I meant, like, however long he's been in. Oh, uh, I meant oh God, yeah, there will be. Yeah, no, there definitely will be. Uh, But yeah, thank you guys for listening. We will see you again next week. Bye. Bye.